It's time. We've teased it and promised it, but it's finally here. The Prohibition episode. Make that episodes. This is too much topic for any one show. So we're breaking it up over the next few weeks. Today's episode is Fellowship of the Drink, and it's all about how we got to Prohibition uh, and the temperance movements in general. So come in and have a drink while you still can. Welcome to Have a Drink, the show where you learn along with us about the glorious drink called beer. I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. I'm Christopher Walker. And I'm Casey Price. Hooray. Huzzahs. <laughs> we are getting into some uh, some some deep stuff here, guys. Oh God. I there were there were so many things I could do this weekend. There was a there was a pirate pub crawl that led to like a friend's concert I could have gone to. Hmm. No. Every last waking moment has gone into into the these episodes for me lately oh god but this it'll what, be worth it i think it'll be worth it this is justin's baby he has been working night and day on this for a while i could have graduated college with this paper it I is show right. his notations and everything like i am i am put to shame my no, dude like no, he did that, that there's no shaming needed that like my my chicago style is sloppy it was literally just to get things on there in case i use it later everything's but... properly cited and notated throughout it 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 just looks sexy uh, yes. no but seriously this this was a a long thing there's a reason that we were uh we've only been teasing this for so long two and a half it's years a lot of work <laughs> yeah yeah like so this was a day one promise that we will be happy to uh, get into. Yes. Uh, first, let's. We've got some a couple of announcements. Um, we just want to remind everybody: if you're going to Nerdtacular 2017, um, put on by the, the wonderful folks over at Frog Pants um, in Salt Lake City, Utah, be sure to hit us up on um, either on email with a feedback at havedrinkshow.com or social media, and uh, we're going to do some kind of meetup um, and. Uh, hit us up and we can go over some details for that. Yeah, we're still waiting for details about what's going to be happening with Nerdtacular in general. Yeah. <laughs> but also that weekend, uh, what were the dates on that? Uh, June, it starts June 29th and it goes into um, July 2nd, I want to say. Yeah, uh, but that Sunday. It's, it's that Saturday. So it, the, the conference technically ends on that Saturday. <clears throat> yeah, uh, that Sunday, that first weekend of July like the very 1st of July, that Sunday. If you are in Salt Lake, we will be going out on the town and getting riggedy wrecked. We've got, <laughs> we don't fly out until the next day. Like our flights are early the next morning, like 5, 7 a.m. So we've got all the time before that that we are just going to be crawling around Salt Lake. So if you're in the Salt Lake area, hit us up and we can all meet up for some drinks. Yes. Yeah, no, we're, 
We're going to be a roving band of drunks. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, speaking of drinking, um, <laughs> yeah, our next video episode is going to be Sunday, April 23rd, and that's going to be on DiamondClub.tv, live streamed at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. We're going to be covering the Goose Island Flight Pack. Um, we've got a picture of that up on the website, and remember, you can check the homepage of the website. We have now got a bunch of stuff updated um, as far as not only the show episodes, but events that we're going to be doing. So um, a couple of festivals around our area, and we're going to be adding Nerdtacular on there with hopefully some more details soon. Yeah. Uh, I worked a lot on this episode. Brittany puts me to shame in the amount of work that she's done on the website. Oh, no. That's not real. <laughs> the website and editing is all her end. Like, we just we usually just get on here and blab our mouths, and then she's like, okay, now I have to go to work. <laughs> You're just sitting there waiting for us to uh, to shut up so she can go, okay, fine. Now we can make something usable out of this. <laughs> that is not even true. But she gets the positive. <laughs> if she gets to shape it into whatever she wants, she can be like, oh, mm-hmm. someone said that, and I thought it was stupid. Well, it's gone now. Okay, I'm waiting for happen. her to, like, just, to get really mad at us one time and just start editing it, like editing what we say to sound like we're just horrible human beings. <laughs> just dropping quotes in there that are completely out of context. It doesn't take a lot of editing. Really yeah, no. That'd be it too much work. Much. Yeah. yeah, we just kind of do it to ourselves. That'd be uh that'd be just like the uh the TMS like splice ups that people did. Oh in. yeah. <laughs> I think uh, you could do that easier with the video episodes. Oh, we yeah. we oh, kind of damn ourselves pretty heavily in those. Fact. <laughs> we're, we're monsters there. Yeah. So, Justin, you were working on these next three episodes uh, most of the weekend and in the meantime. So, how about everyone else? Casey, what have you been up to? Work. work. In, the word, in the words of, uh, was it, Warcraft 1 and 2? Work, work, work. Um, <laughs> work, work, work. More work. Um, I will be heading out to Nashville and uh, right, basically all the way across Tennessee next week. So, um, I'll try to pick up some more of that beer that oh. you had. The bearded there. iris stuff. Yeah, you're going to have to check out where they are, see if you can swing by. Excellent. That, okay. Oh, that beer is so good. I'll try to bring some of that back home because um, it was good. It was some good stuff. Yeah. Um, yesterday was my birthday. I was going to say, I feel like we had, <laughs> we had a birthday boy recently. Yes. yes, and spent all day. I surprisingly felt great when I woke up today. I was like, I'm thinking I'm not going to look forward to doing all this recording hungover. I was like, but it's my birthday and I don't care. Started drinking it like... managed to keep it at a certain level, just like... Yeah, it was just, just that, that, like, not too far to where it's, it's go, you know, all the toxins hit you. <laughs> yeah, Kevin, it was a steady stream all day. Started at like 2.33 ish yesterday and didn't stop until about 1 a.m. Just, just kept it going. <laughs> Kept the party going. Uh, we went out to a soccer game, which was awesome. Uh, destroyed them. Four zip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you want to understand, uh, the the FC Cincinnati is doing fairly well in their league. It's okay. Second what's, year running. What's crazy is we At traded uh, after um, this isn't soccer talk or something. Although I might have to start that podcast. We traded. Mm-hmm. Are, our, we? Are we starting soccer talk? <laughs> maybe. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but we traded like all of our best players and sold them off at the end of last season because they just got better offers elsewhere and brought in Brent. Like it was our inaugural season last year, but this season it's a bunch of new people again. And these guys are like even better than the last guys we had. <laughs> like we had, uh, Ocoli, who last season was, uh, league MVP. 
Like, he led the entire league on scoring and all this stuff, and he was, like, one of our best players. And he went to the major leagues. After. Yeah, he went up to major league, and it was like, nobody blamed him. He he was never, like, touting his loyalty to Cincinnati or anything like that. Dude yeah. was from, like, where? <laughs> like, oh, I don't remember. Yeah, our, our team is full of, like, there's people from England, um, uh, Ireland, Canada, Australia. Um, West a few, Africa. A few people from Africa. Yeah, the guy who scored literally all four goals last night. <laughs> is from a, a, a country in West Africa. And we're like, all right then. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, crushed it. Uh, and the red, like Cincinnati's just like, no, let's get rid of all of our teams, bring in fresh faces. And now the teams are good. Yeah. Well, there's a couple people <laughs> who stayed on from last time. And, and um, our goalie being one of them, who we have a shirt for, that says Mitch, his name is Mitch Hildebrand. He's from Michigan. And his uh, shirt says, Mitch says no. And it's great. But... <laughs> And there's all kinds, of, it's great around town, everyone runs promotions. Uh, every time Mitch says no, we say yes, and they just like run discounts for every goal he stops. <laughs> they're like, every goal he stops is like $10 off whatever you're going to get. Just picturing him just going, I say thee nay. Boom. <laughs> Although, he only had to stop like two goals. Because they wouldn't even, on, they didn't yeah. even get near the goal. <laughs> like everyone else was just like rocking it. And I could not believe it. Okay, that's anyway. enough. It Soccer was a good talk. day. Man, it was a good day I would, yesterday. I, I really want to go watch one of those games. I had, I w- oh, it would be great if you could. It's only like ten bucks for general admission. Yeah, yeah. I assume the tickets aren't aren't crazy. I just no. need the time and. Yeah. Anyway. All right, that's enough for soccer talk. Uh, let's go ahead and jump into some news. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, uh, I started following this one. Uh, I think it popped up earlier in the week or maybe last week, uh, but the Brewers Association is going to crack down on offensive beer labels. So I had to title this one. I was like, well, three Floyds and Against the Grain aren't going to like this. No. Uh, The Brewers Association is attempting to curb some brewers' uh, propensity toward offensive beer labels. At a press briefing held during the Craft Brewers Conference on Wednesday, the trade organization announced steps to prevent breweries from using offensive or sexist names and labels for marketing their businesses with the industry trade organization's intellectual property in regards to World Beer Cup and Great American Beer Fest awards and medals. Uh, the organization's leaders said they will still allow those brewers using questionable names to participate in its awards competition and join its membership ranks, but noted that winners with offensive names will not be celebrated during awards ceremonies. Goodness. Yeah, this is getting... They can they can put their stuff into the competition, but they will not win? They No, they can win. They- just but won't they, tell anyone. They're saying we will not stand up and we will not, we will not promote the beer. It will win, but they will not say it won. <laughs> like mm-hmm. they don't want someone to have to stand up and say you know a big offensive name of a beer. That's a little yeah. dumb. I'm just gonna. I don't know. <laughs> I I can understand the the mentality behind that. I yeah. Like, oh you. You know, you you shouldn't be saying these things to people. And they're like, oh, okay, okay. On the other hand, like, it's also beer. It. Yeah, it's it's beer. Like they named it what they named it, and they can call it what they want. They made it, but it's not like children are going to be around this. Like, it's that's the thing that I don't understand. I'm wondering, uh, if, okay, do drug references factor into this? Because if so, Lagunitas will never have a beer read off at oh, any no, of these festivals. Like you're ever just worried again. about sexist or you know 
some other form of offensive comment. I don't know if, uh, if someone will find a drug reference offensive. So it's yeah, it's, that it just it's probably in the pipeline. So okay, uh, they've got some examples in here. The beer industry is littered with past and present examples of innuendo for names and questionable labels, such as Pig's Mind Brewing, uh, PD California style ale. PD is an acronym for Panty Dropper. And the label features a drawing of a woman with her underwear around her ankles. Uh, it doesn't mean she dropped them. It could just mean that that she stepped into something that's weirder. <laughs> the next one is one that we love and have long touted now as being a great beer. Uh, Flying Dogs Pearl Necklace Chesapeake Stout. Amazing beer. to say that's not about a, a piece of jewelry. I say you don't necessarily read that one's not as obvious as yeah, PD Dropper like, because it's it's an innuendo yes but it's also like a double entendre window. yeah but it's not like it it doesn't scream you know it, compared to some of the others I think that one's kind of fine yeah um, Sweetwater's Happy Ending Imperial Stout uh, just just a storybook tale that that went right. <laughs> Uh, Stark Brewing's Mount You Golden Cream Ale uh, and Village Idiot Brewing Company Thong Remover Belgian Triple. Okay, I can't do anything with these guys. You're killing me here. <laughs> uh, some have been discontinued. Others live on. Uh, we will not allow them to market their award using our intellectual property. Uh, Pease said, adding that the Brewers Association would not allow its name to be associated with labels and marketing efforts that it feels would damage its image. So I think that really says it all. They don't want to be held responsible for what, uh, you know, edgy breweries are doing to catch some headlines. Yeah. Yeah. Because it could tarnish the Brewers Association a name when they stand up and they're like, oh, like if, like, Panty Dropper was to win, you know, like, Best Beer at Great American Beer Fest... They don't want to have to stand up and that be in the headlines across the world because it, USA Today and like everybody carries these winners and they don't want to have to associate their name with the name of these beers. Uh, maybe it's also they just don't want to be up there in a ceremony saying, and the winner, thong remover for best <laughs> Belgian triple. Yeah. yeah. It kind of, I don't know... They just don't want anything. To, they don't want to tarnish their image or the in, the image of the industry as a whole, and I completely just, understand. Yeah, it's just I, I. You have to assume they have like they'll have to have like some sort of panel that desert, decides what's okay and what's not. Yeah. yeah, they actually get into that uh, during the Brew Association press conference. He said the organization would not be screening applications to join the association for offensive or sexist names. So when you're going to join, they are not going. They're not looking through it then. Uh, excluding companies from being members of the association is fraught with all sorts of legal implications, he said. So at this point, we are prepared to deny breweries with offensive names of being members of the Brewer Association. No, we're not. So people aren't going to be denied, but it's, again, like they're going to read the names in, in upon entry to the festivals. Casey, this is not looking good for, uh, for the number of beers that we were going to, to make and name. Oh god, what was the one? Yeah, Amber Alert. Yeah. Oh, there's Amber a few. Alert. Amber Alert, Which I think, is the tamest. Already exists. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, the general guidelines from the Brewers Association, they put out that marketing and advertising code. And the general guideline basically is out there, and it says as the number one rule: beer advertising shall portray beer in a socially responsible and respectful way. 
Uh, this can include depicting people enjoying their lives and socializing while beer is present and being consumed in a responsible manner. But it shouldn't portray or encourage drinking and driving, depict where be a situation where beer is consumed excessively, involuntarily, or as part of a drinking game. Uh, portray persons lacking control over their behavior as a result of beer. Uh, portray uh, or imply illegal activity as part of drinking beer. So there's the Lagunitas side. Yeah. Um, because it's technically still illegal at the federal level. Make representations about unsubstantiated health benefits. Claim or represent that individuals cannot obtain social, professional, educational, athletic, financial success without beer consumption. Yeah, that's a thing. I never got my PhD without beer. <laughs> Promote, shouldn't promote underage drinking and shouldn't claim or represent that individuals cannot solve social, personal, physical problems without beer. And then the last two um, shouldn't contain sexually explicit, lewd, or demeaning brand names, language, text, photos, whatever, um, that, that would represent adult consumers, what they would find inappropriate. Um, and then also shouldn't contain derogatory or demeaning text or images. Um, we're talking about beer here, and beer is sold on super, supermarket shelves. And so that's one of the, the big factors. Yes, yeah, sure, um, you can put whatever you want on the, the front page of that nudie magazine that's going to go into a, a, an adult sex shop or it's going to go um, into you know, a, a behind the, the cardboard. In your say, local it it will go into, like, into your Rite Aids, but it will also have to have like a little thing covering it. Yeah, to cover it up. But beers right there, you know, one aisle over from the milk aisle where your kids are going down the, the aisle with you. So if they see a lady dropping panties yeah. on the front of a beer label, then then that may may throw some red flags that the beer industry definitely does not want. Yeah, and I think Lagunitas has already had – they've run into trouble with this. Uh, I don't beers know if are was, mostly referenced uh, to, to weed puns. Yeah, but, but one was so blatant they had to change the name and then the packaging – <laughs> yeah, I'm just. I can't remember yeah. what it was, but I just like to imagine it was just like it was called chronic. Smoke, that's right, it was chronic. I was just thinking it would be something like we smoke weed. But they didn't. <laughs> the way they changed the labeling is great because they just slapped the big censored tag across. Like they did. That's all they did. They were like, you know what? I'm lazy, and they just like tilted at an angle, slapped it across the side, and they're like, done. It's now called censored. Moving on. <laughs> all right. Speaking. Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> uh, our next story. I am really excited about this. Uh, let's just, evil minds plot destruction. They also plot far-fetched, transcontinental, multifaceted, collaborative brew pub concepts. <laughs> wow, but do they? Apparently. Uh, I guess that's a thing. <laughs> the notion of America's pioneering heavy metal brewery and Denmark's original gypsy brewer uh, shacking up together seemed a bit odd from the outset. The Indiana-based Three Floyds, couldn't and still can't meet demand as near as Missouri. Uh, McKellar, right. and it's true, like their beer, they're, they doubled the size of their brewery. And since we are in like close enough in their distribution area, we are getting flooded with their beers. But apparently, we like we are consuming so much of it, it still can't make it out to further markets. It's ours. Suck it, Missouri. <laughs> Suck it. We get all the zombie dust once a month. <laughs> uh, McKellar is the other one that is working with him. McKellar had, and still has, a stronghold on the Copenhagen craft beer market with nine of the locations already in operation. Hmm. So why would either want to collaborate on a small-scale brew pub? Why wouldn't they? That's the real question. <laughs> the easy answer is that they wanted to, and they could. But there were other reasons, uh, practical, intangible, and otherwise, for the Beer Geek Dream Union. And, it, yeah, McKellar and Three Floyds, like those... 
I can't. There's some snobbery that gets brought up when you talk about those two breweries because yeah. they are like world renowned. Uh, it's hard to argue with the success they've seen so far. Weird though it may be, it kind of makes sense in a twisted sort of way. And that's where the charm of War Pigs begins. So that's what they've decided to name this chain. It's going to be War Pigs from, obviously, Black Sabbath song. I was going to say, like, I'm just, I can almost hear yeah. that song in my head as I hear it. As soon as I saw the name, I, it started playing in my head. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely a party area, says War Pigs head brewer Kyle Wolak. Uh, sometimes when I get in here at 6 a.m., people are still partying. He's referring to <laughs> Copenhagen's Meatpacking District, where I guess they already have one open. Uh, God, I can't say. We've got weird accents. Weird accents. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, what is this? Danish? Yeah. Could be. Could is a district of Copenhagen's Vesterbro neighborhood. And it's subdivided into three sections, white, gray, and brown, each dubbed for the predominant color of its architecture. Huh. War Pigs resides in the white area, which is austere. Austere. <laughs> In an almost mechanical way. All the buildings are low slung and long. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. We need to get moving. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we don't care what it looks like. We care that it's happening. Yeah. Here, I've got the name. Kubeaton. What? Kubeaton. 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 Kubeaton, man. <laughs> uh. Okay, but... Uh, they're talking about the aesthetics. The idea was to create a laid-back place with references... To Texas barbecue combined with a beer hall and metal music, all with an army <laughs> theme. So, in Copenhagen. So trip to Denmark, guys. Yeah. They're opening <laughs> these all around the world. So we like give it a year, and we won't have. They're going to be. I don't uh, care where this is. We're going. Essentially, this is going to be like Hopcat. Yeah. That's the yes. way to look at it. <laughs> so they're like, it's a chain. It's going to be everywhere. Hopefully, one lands near us. Like Hopcat just decided to rain restaurants <laughs> around us. Dun, 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 dun. It, it's a great the, thing. The bicycle picture. Sorry. <laughs> War Pigs is a place where you can uh, you can have fun and be a little loud without worrying about disturbing other guests. Even if that vibe seems familiar, the space bears no resemblance to Three Floyds or McKellar. It's something different entirely. Equal parts beer garden and sacrificial altar with a splash of illicit laboratory thrown in for good measure. Yes. It bridges the gap between the building's history, its current incarnation, and the oft illicit brews produced within. So, uh, I just like I'm looking through like how they, you know, because they, they're showing pictures of like how it looks and all this cool stuff there, and all I can think of, like I would make one change. I would I would do what they do at uh, well like at Hopcat or if they do at uh, uh the the West Six Brewery near me for their their lighting situation and cover those uh those light bulbs with uh, some sort of bottle. That you oh, right. in the oh, case I love of, that about uh, Cat. West Six, they cut the bottom out of like growlers and then oh. rolls over. I love that. Yes, that that yes, <laughs> that's the thing. The melting of out influence. Of this, huh? My favorite out of all of this is the fact that they have their own sodas. Yeah, I was gonna say, is it the soda fountain? Because I'm looking at that right now, going like, yes, yeah. no blueberry did you get... soda, <laughs> black cherry, lemon all of that lime, sounds fine, lemonade. Yeah. Did you scroll down um, to see the barrels? That art? Oh my gosh, well, it's engraved in the barrels. Look at look halfway down. So cool. Right below the soda machine photo. Um, look there where the tap handles are and then direct your eyes to the right-hand side to where the liquor bottles are. 
<laughs> Do you what? see what those liquor bottles are? No. I see a few of them. Those are Pappy Van Winkle bottles. Yep. Oh. <laughs> oh my gosh. This place is my new favorite place, and I haven't been there. <laughs> let's let's go ahead and head over to Denmark. So yeah, they're saying in here, uh, unless something cataclysmic happens, there's no way Copenhagen will be the only location. Uh, the concept is proven. There's a clear value to both the Three Floyds and Me Keller brands. And Texas barbecue is virtually non-existent on the continent. Whether it comes to the shores of the United States or ventures further afield in Europe, War Pigs is built to grow. It's a brand that we would love to spread all over the world where we brew fresh beer and smoke great meat. Mm. I'm just... Mm. I want to talk about the barbecue angle of this place. Like, that's true. Uh, yeah, we, we left that out. Oh, mm. God. But maybe oh, yeah. even more important than their own expansion, War Pigs is a successful experiment kicking in the doors of Europe for American-style brew pubs of all sorts. Uh, I think we have shown that it's possible to brew great, fresh, hoppy beer and serve it right from the source. Uh, this new, this is new to Europe, but War Pigs has been successful with it, and others will follow. So, Technically, didn't Stone start doing this already? Yeah, so I guess this is kind of crept up on us. Uh, I hadn't heard anything else about this before for War Pigs. But we've just been hearing so much about Stone being the ones pioneering and carrying American craft brew over into Europe. But I get—I mean, this place has been up and going. Right. Yeah. Well, and and like this is this this will be this will be good over there because like now now a lot of these these you know these craft brewers are trying to to find ways to deliver their stuff to other countries, which is only good for their brand to get them more you know. Get them, get them in more mouths. Yeah, it's a that, that sounded weird. Uh, <laughs> essentially, what they have to do that is would not be able to appear on a beer label in the near future. <laughs> well, what they've had to do is they just started essentially a new brewery and brew it there. So it is like it's not yeah. me Keller, it's not Three Floyds, it's War Pigs. Mm-hmm. The beers will be War Pigs. So if they ever get to, into packaging it and selling it, it'll just be known from War Pigs. But will it, it will is I still be able to get my Necron. No. Idea? No. no. Doesn't um, seem well no, here you will, but Yeah. They'd there. probably open this in bigger cities, but also like if they literally if they opened a location for this in Ohio, Michigan, Virginia, we're going. Like somewhere yeah. in that general area, I don't care. Like possibly, that's a thing that's happening. Possibly Columbus as something is going to be happening with our next news story. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, punk beer maker Brewdog sells 22% of uh, themselves to a private equity firm. Sure. Well, this is usually what happens when they're trying to, to get a cash infusion to, to start expanding. Uh, so that's, you know, it's 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 unique that, you know, Brewdog is, is selling 22%, but they're not getting rid of all their stuff. I mean, they still have control over their brewery. Yeah, yeah. The, the private equity firms, I'm... I'm fine with people because that's what it is. It's a big, they needed an injection of cash and that gets it to them. I mean, if, you know, how much could they possibly be worth and how much, how much would they have to pay to get 22% of, (laughs) of that? Well, early investors in punk beer firm, Brewdog will be able to bank a hefty profit this week. An injection of cash from a private equity house valued the company at 1 billion pounds. Ten years Whoa. after it began life <laughs> in its co-founder's mother's garage. Yes, a billion pounds, over a billion U.S. dollars. You have to put your pinky to your mouth whenever you say that. <laughs> One 
billion dollars. Yeah, no, it's insanity. That ended up being the big story that people, everyone's like, oh yeah, Brewdog sold, you know, 22%. And they're like, oh. And it's like, and they were valued at over a billion dollars. And everyone's like, the F? <laughs> yeah, which makes me think that it's possible. I mean, that's just what they're valued at. That's, you know, all their, their you know, they, they don't have as much liquid assets, I guess, as you would assume, because they're selling off part of it to, but they could theoretically buy themselves, buy that part right back in a few years. Oh, yeah. Uh, San Francisco-based TSG Consumer Partners agreed to buy 22% of BrewDog, whose idiosyncratic beers and international network of bars have wanted a cult following in a deal. The deal was worth uh, two point or 213 million pounds. Uh, some 100, yeah, 100 million pounds will be invested in the business where TSG which also owns U.S. brewer Pabst, also spent £113 million buying shares from existing investors, according to the Sunday Times. This is a weird degrees of separation right now. <laughs> hmm. I, I like the fact that, first off, £1 billion is enough to match the, the GDP of just about the lowest 20, at least <laughs> by the lowest 20, um, let me let me rephrase that. The GDP of the lowest twenty countries in the world could not purchase BrewDog at this point. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, they could take all the money that their country makes in a year. Yeah, and this is and not be able to buy. Like they're coming in off of the uh, wasn't was it a Kickstarter or whatever? Like Indiegogo, they, Indiegogo to open the Dog House, which was a massive success as well. So like after that like they didn't have to do this like that like people would just fund it. So I'm kind of yeah. wondering why why they decided to do this. What crazy thing have they got planned next? I guess like it's 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 <laughs> mind-boggling how much oh, and like in only 10 years. Like that is a that's a crazy amount of of growth. Yeah, uh we've got here the fundraising effort valued the company at just uh Oh, that was back in 2010. Never mind, that's outdated. Uh, they now employ 800 staff. Opening the brew dog bars across the world has begun building a brewery in Columbus, Ohio, and launching our launch pad for a bid to conquer America. And we're really pumped because that's really close to us. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we're going to have to have some meetups up around... Uh, the doghouse. Got to at least go out there and try them. I mean, mm. you would imagine that they will be able to be, you know, you'll be able to get some of their their stuff much easier now. Yeah. Well, and we keep being told that Columbus is a pretty good scene for uh, for craft beer, so we probably need to go up there at some point anyway. So it works out. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, shareholders shareholders cleared the way for the investment by approving changes to BrewDog's capital structure at a meeting on the 29th of March. Company said with 95% voting in favor. Of course. After their value came in, who who would be dumb enough to be like, I don't want to be a millionaire? <laughs> the changes include the award of uh, preference shares to TSG, which confer the right to an annual return of 18% if the company is bought or lists on the stock market, according to reports. Hmm. Jesus. No. <laughs> so uh, they go on and just like, that's all the important information. But I guess out of this purchase, everyone's like, oh, yeah, selling 22%. You know, a lot of people, Founders has done that. You know, a lot of people. And it's like valued at over a billion pounds. 
No big deal. No no biggie. It's such heavy money. Sorry, I couldn't stop it. But yeah, that's insanity, and it it really just means awesome things are coming. I'm excited. Excited to drink. What uh do we have any incentives to drink? Any badges, maybe? We do, actually, so let's go ahead and get an untapped. Get riggedy, riggedy, wrecked, Right. Well, that's definitely going to happen today. Um, <laughs> so, uh, starting us off, speaking of names and things, um, the company who's kind of notorious for some of those names, we have Lagunitas Badge. This is uh, the Waldo's Special Ale um, for all the treasure hunters, it says. I don't... I feel like we had this once, and I don't even remember what it tastes like, but it's Awaken Your Inner Treasure Hunter with Waldo's Ale. Uh, a beer brewed for true treasure hunters. Waldo's special ale is the dankest, hoppiest beer from Lagunitas. This ale is dedicated to the spirit of those always seeking, never giving up until they find what they're looking for. This highly limited release can be found on tap and in six packs, but it won't be around forever. Um, so to celebrate the release... Um, you can check in to one and add your location to the check-in and unlock the Waldo's Special Ale One-Hitter Level 1 and then continue on your journey to unlock the other two Waldo's Special Ale Secret Badges. Um, Try another spot or two to get the Waldo's Special Ale Treasure Hunting Level 2 and uh, be sure to attach your location to the check-in for it to count. So, um, they don't want to give away the secrets of the badges, but um, they're big advocates of sharing, so maybe try treasure hunting with a friend and tagging them. Maybe try checking in one of the, our favorite days in April. Or maybe not. <laughs> Whatever. Um, be sure to ch- uh, start your treasure hunting uh, soon because all three badges will only be available between April 3rd, so that's already started, and May 3rd. So as of the time this will be released, you only have um, like a week and a half. So... Just keep that in mind. <laughs> celebrate. They want you to celebrate Hitler's birthday with the Waldo special. <laughs> oh, Lord. We, no. haven't, we haven't given our, uh, our, uh, our disclosure short disclaimer here. So well, we're yet, not so, to uh, it yet. Um, yeah, they're, uh, by the time this gets posted, you'll have a couple of days before their, uh, their favorite day in April. So you should be good there if you want to check in. Hitler's birthday, uh, remember. Yeah. <laughs> it is neat that there's a, a treasure hunting aspect to the to the beer, you know, trying to find. Yeah. Yeah, because you have to check in, you have to like tag a location or I guess a mm-hmm. friend in your check in. So that's yeah. pretty cool. Uh, all right. So next up we have uh, the perfect liquid soundtrack. Uh, as the official beer of record of record store day, beer to drink music to 2017 is the perfect liquid soundtrack to welcome warmer weather. This tropical mashup uh, prominently features kiwi, lime juice, and hibiscus flowers that delivers a pinkish red profile with tropical fruit, berry, and floral notes. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I'm just hearing hibiscus now. Like I know, I, I, I can picture what you taste that. like now. <laughs> uh, clocking in at six, uh, six slash eight. I think they meant point. Uh, but let's say six eighths ABV. <laughs> <laughs> Not much, you know. Six eighths of a percent ABV. Uh, it's that a perfect marriage. That is just over the limit of what it takes to be non-alcoholic. You can be under point five percent and still be non-alcoholic. Nice. Uh, it's a perfect marriage of beer and music, and is best when paired with some of your favorite tunes. Check into uh, 
queue up this music expired ale and you can unlock a brand new badge. Check into one beer to drink music two, 2017 from Dogfish Head between April 4th and May 4th. And the aptly named beer to drink music two badge is all yours. So still about the same amount of time on that one. Um, yeah. I've never understood the beer to drink music to stuff, and they put them out like a bunch. But this Every one year. sounds delightful. Like the flavors in this sound just Hibiscus, fine. Right? Kiwi juice. Yeah. I love kiwi. They change it up every year, and I love the way they promote this. If you go into liquor stores who are part of the promotion, they'll have old like uh, old like briefcase record players. Yeah. yeah. Playing re- like old real old records just to go with it and. I love that. Like you just walk in, like, what is going on over here? <laughs> How old of records? Are we talking like ragtime or like not quite that old? Uh, oh. It's usually like I don't know. Like I don't know. I, I guess it does kind of range, doesn't it? it? Yeah, it is. It's kind of it's just like a a weird playlist put on to the record that goes, and I don't know. I enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's based around the record store day. I believe, yeah. So. Okay. All right. All right, cool. So moving on to two new mischievous Hefeweizens from Magicat. Circus Boy and Zirkus Boy. Uh, <laughs> Circus Boy is the Hefeweizen, while Zirkus Boy with a Z is the German-style Hefeweizen. Uh, it says here, Circus Boy decided to ditch his carny confines, so he hitched it to Germany where his roots of a mischievous way began. While there, he befriended a fellow rabble-rouser with an affinity for Circus Boy's waggish ways. Wow. Circus <laughs> Boy's new German friend, Circus Boy, appeared to be the at first a delicious doppelganger, unfiltered, unfettered, and unmatched in his liquid jest. However, there was one uber difference between the two. Circus Boy has an American Hefeweizen yeast strain, and Zirkus Boy, a German one. That means you're probably going to get no banana or clove out of Hmm. the Zirkus Boy, and you're probably going to get clove or banana or bubblegum out of the Zirkus. To get these badges, you can check into one Circus Boy, and you can unlock the Circus Boy badge. Then track down and check into his doppelganger, Zirkus Boy, and the Zirkus Boy badge is yours. Badges available between April 10th and June 10th. Hmm. Got some time on those, and it's two badges. I've never had any yeah. magic hat, you know. They caught some fallout real quick because they were one of the first companies to get bought up. Hmm. I have a very similar um, magic hat experience as uh, with, with bells. With bells, because there um, was a lawsuit with them. I remember with I remember one of our anger. local breweries. Yeah. yeah. Oh. I remember your your anger against them very early, but they they had, they had a lawsuit against West Six. Oh yeah, that's right about West, the logo. Our local in Lexington, Kentucky, West Six Brewery, which is is fairly large now, but they had a six on their um, a six with a circle around it on their uh, cans, and uh, their Magic Hat makes number nine. And the argument from Magic Hat was, well, if you turned a can of of West Six upside down, it would look like a number nine, which looks like our logo. Oh, okay. And so that was their their argument. And the settlement, the only settlement was there was like a little tiny star at the edge of the West Six. And they made them remove the star, but it cost, yeah, I don't know how many thousands of dollars to redo all the marketing and pull everything down. There are still a few liquor stores in the area that kept hold of the old stuff and actually in protest turned the cans upside down to, <laughs> to make them look like the magic hat. Logo. It, didn't they, like the new logo, they just like off-centered the six, right? Like they just put it down. It's still in the circle and they just like shoved it down to one of the corners. Yeah. So that you, basically you, the same logo was just a matter of, of removing the star. Okay. Much. Yeah. 
that was that would mean a few thousands of dollars uh because the lawyers were were making money yeah 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 at, and i've actually not had much magic head either and part of it was just like oh they had that that lawsuit against west six i should i should stay loyal and then as i've gotten yeah, as it's gone by i'm like eh whatever <laughs> I did figure out what the Waldo's favorite day in, um, in <laughs> Hitler's birthday. April would be no, not Hitler's birthday, April 29th. Is that when Where's Waldo was National born? National Shrimp Scampi Day? <laughs> All right, National Shrimp Scampi Day. Obviously, that's that's, that's gotta be. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's an inside joke. <laughs> All right, so I believe we have a have a lengthy topic that we need to get into. Yes. Not yet. Time episode. I was gonna say, wait. Give you know, time. I just thought like parts two and three or whatever. We may. I, I'm gonna find like some speakeasy clips or something. <laughs> I, I was like, I just thought about that, and I was like, we don't have anything fun for that. I feel like music. it's also yeah. a good chance to use that. I'm drunk. You're drunk. Everybody's drunk. drunk. That's true. It could, that's that's a universal. So I believe uh, Justin should start this off with what he's been promoting it to us about. Uh, how how is this going to start and how is it going to end? Uh, okay, so this episode is going to start uh, hardcore history style, and I'm pretty sure by the end it's going to be drunk history. <laughs> I may have been drinking a bit too when I was when I was writing this. Not no. a lot, but yeah, this it is <laughs> this is Justin's baby. Like he has nurtured it and brought it all the way to adulthood, and now we are going to present it to you. And the Quick. topic is. You may have guessed it. Prohibition. Mm -hmm. Quick little disclaimer. Um, I'm going to warn you. Uh, we're going to try to be historically accurate, um, but we're not unbiased. Uh, that's that's a thing. Like in my head, I like you should try to be 100% objective when when looking at your historical topics. I can't do that with this. Second of all, we're going to try to use uh, we're going to be using quotes from historical from historical quotes from that period. They don't always reflect the views of the people here, and nor do the word choices. Um, nothing too awful, but there are some. There's a couple of things that I would go. Lots of I, I argued about leaving putting in there. I was like, uh, for accuracy's sake, we're going to leave that in. A uh, couple of racial comments get made, but please forgive us. We're going for historical accuracy, not for, not to be, you know, causing trouble or anything. With that said, let's start this out. Uh, start this out with a quote, because um, I'm about to get Ken Burns all up in this piece. Uh, <laughs> honestly, this quote is used in because uh, it's a Ken Burns documentary on. There's a there's a Ken Burns documentary on prohibition that you should uh, you should check out. Uh, a lot of it comes from the same book that I I did a lot of my research out of. But uh, let's start out with uh, the quote from uh, the Frederick Mayert. Uh, a Diary in America, number six, volume set. Uh, he says, They say the British cannot fix anything properly without without a dinner. But I'm sure the Americans can fix nothing without a drink. Yeah. If you meet, you drink. If you part, you drink. If you make an acquaintance, you drink. If you close a bargain, you drink. If they quarrel in their, uh, they quarrel in their drink, and they make up in their drink. They drink because it's hot. They drink because it's cold. 
If successful in elections, they drink and rejoice. If not, they drink and swear. They drink early in the morning and they leave off late at night. They commence it early in life and they continue it until they soon drop into the grave. To use their own expression, the way they drink is quite a caution. As for, uh, as for water, what the man said uh, when asked uh, to belong to the temperance society soon, uh, soon <sighs> appears to be the general opinion. It's very good for navigation. <laughs> That's a wonderful quote. That is great. <laughs> yeah, most most I, I see it a lot in prohibition articles and and such because it's it's a good description of life pre-prohibition. Uh, prior to prohibition, drinking uh, drinking was ingrained in basically every af- uh, every facet of American uh, American life, from the farmer's cider barrels to immigrant pubs to refined genteel drinkers. Everyone drank. Large swaths of the country would never have been colonized without beer, uh, or in the case of the Pilgrims, the lack of it. Uh, John Winthrop came to the Massachusetts Bay Colony with no more than 10,000 barrels of wine and three times as much beer than water. Jesus. Washington I mean... kept a still on his farm. John Adams began each day with a tankard of hard cider. Thomas Jefferson's fondness of drink extended beyond his renowned wine collection to encompass rye whiskey made from his own crops. And James Madison consumed a pint of whiskey daily. Jesus. Good night. <laughs> so what happened? When? How did we go from functional alcoholic to teetotaler and back again? Well, the ratification of the 18th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, which banned the manufacture, transportation, and sale of intoxicating liquors, is what happened. It started off... Uh, the official start of legal prohibition in the U.S., uh, but nothing, but uh, none of this would have started without the widespread temperance movement that began in the first decade of the 20th century. Uh, religious fervor from the 19th century uh, started a chain reaction in the political world that lasted nearly a century in potentia and in actuality. A long, winding road, uh, it was a long and winding road that still has some remnant effect to modern day. In the 1820s and 30s, a wave of religious revivalism swept the U.S. A second great awakening is what it was called, and it started to started to wind down. Uh, but its messages, uh, the messages it put forward, were uh, still being acted on. Many Protestant denominations were swept up in the fervor and wished to fix the woes that their preachers railed against. They felt the need to purify mankind before the return of Christ, which was possibly by the end of that millennium. <laughs> Missed the boat on that one, guys. Yeah, a little uh, bit. <laughs> uh, it led to the increased calls in temperance as well as other perfectionist movements, such as the abolition of slavery. Uh, for a long time, uh, slavery and abolition uh, – sorry, abolition and prohibition went hand in hand. Mm. Uh, the first temperance group that popped up uh, was in, in 1840 in a Baltimore barroom. Six habitual drinkers made a pledge of total abstinence and called themselves the Washingtonians. Uh, however, unlike later groups, they advocated no change in law. They refused to pin blame for their circumstances on the tavern operators or distillers, and they asked habitual drinkers to only sign a pledge of abstinence. It's not to say they weren't very adamant in their beliefs. Uh, they had their own uh, evangelists who had given passioned, if incendiary, speeches about the dangers of alcohol. Uh, John Goh would be a particularly prolific example, giving 383 speeches in 1843 alone. Wow. Uh, He is 
He's also known for what happened in 1844 when he spectacularly backslid on a six-day bender was found in a New York brothel at the end of it. <laughs> That's amazing. He claimed he, he claimed he was drugged, and by all accounts, he never drank another drop afterwards. That's glorious, and I feel like... <laughs> it's borderline doth protest too much. Yes. <laughs> well, they all came out of former alcoholics. Yeah. That's just a really unfortunate... Yeah event for him <laughs> fantastic yeah I've, if only we could all have a uh <laughs> a six-day bender that yeah. ends up in a brothel <laughs> and then just go i was say, drugged it doesn't take six days to end up in a brothel now <laughs> <laughs> as a matter of fact you can get there rather quickly <laughs> one good one good bachelor party and uh and in, in mm. vegas and you, you get you've gotten there you just go outside the city limits oh uh, gosh all right. Uh, by the turn of the century, temperate societies were a common fixture in communities across the United States. Impressive figures like Susan B. Anthony. Yeah, that, that's this is a part of it we kind of forget. Uh, important figures like Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Stanton got their start in the temperance movement. In fact, they became suffragists in large part to being left out of important temperance meets that were decidedly men only. After that group called the Women's Christian Temperance Union was formed. Uh, started by Francis Willard, they made temperance a women's issue. Alcohol was seen as a destructive influence in marriages and families, with drunken husbands often beating their wives, Willard argued. Women's issues could not be resolved if authority was left solely in the hands of men. Well, yeah. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, like, basically... The the, temp, the large temperance societies went to Susan B. Anthony and was like, no, you can't come in. We don't, no girls allowed. And she went, screw you guys, <laughs> making my own thing. And then eventually went, all right, it's there's a lot more problems here. We're 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 getting the vote too because we're not fixing this without the vote. <laughs> she was like, you know what? There's there's a bigger issue. We're gonna tackle that bigger issue. <laughs> and never never got back to that other one, thankfully. <laughs> uh, tiny. Well, well, I mean, other people took care of it for her. <laughs> yeah. Tying the issues of women's suffrage and prohibition seems unusual today, but in many ways it was the only way either issue would get traction. Both issues were only seen favorably by a minority at the time, but with growing populist and the progressive movements rising out of industrialization, they would find a time to see mainstream approval. Uh, a prohibition... What? I just wanted to say, I, I wrote that sentence and went, that is the most history-sounding sentence I have ever written in my entire life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you made that notation. A lot of buzzwords. Just went, <laughs> yeah, that's just like, growing out of industrial Holy crap, where did that come from? That is just a buzzword bomb. Like, I don't know, you could, that seems like it would come up in half the Google searches. Yeah. Um, Sorry. A prohibition party was even formed in 1872, and their platform included things like universal suffrage, public education, uh, the removal of the electoral college, and even forest conservation, in addition to the prohibition of alcohol. That's kind of a wide net to be casting. Yeah. Let's... They're like, we're going to give all these great things, and then we're going to take away your alcohol, too. <laughs> and then everyone's yeah, like, that's... whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> that's the thing. At the time, the... A lot of the progressive parties were what were pushing for prohibition as well, and so a lot of the things that we are thankful for about the uh, changes that we were thankful for during the turn of the uh, into the twentieth century are, are are tied up with this prohibition temperance movement, and like that's what binds a lot of them together. But they also this these same progressives 
gave us things like public education and universal suffrage. Not so much the Electoral College. That's still there. But, <laughs> you know, th these were the things they were trying to to improve. They saw problems in society at the time and they were trying to to, you know, fix them with the government. They fixed some problems and then found out maybe this other problem <laughs> was slight compared to what it ended up causing. But I'm, I'm getting ahead of us. Uh, there had been attempts at legislation, though. The first prohibition law was passed as early as 1851, uh, the main law, as it came to be known, was widespread by Neil Dow. I am going to, uh, I'm going to blame Tyler for this, as he is the only person from Maine I know. <laughs> it's all your fault, Tyler. Uh, a Portland businessman turned See? mayor. Huh? See? Portland. Yeah. He's, one of the, he's in one of the shining Portlands. From Portland to shining Portland. A uh, businessman turned mayor to convince uh, the state legislature to pass the first statewide prohibition law. It banned the possession and sale of alcohol except for medical use and allowed for each search and allowed for search and seizure of persons if they had three people complain. Wow. I would be in trouble. <laughs> The law was repealed in 1855, however, after an angry crowd of mostly Irish immigrants, 3,000 strong, gathered yeah. together to protest. The militia was called, and seven people were wounded, and one person died while they tried to stop the riot. Wow. <laughs> Let's point out two things real quick. Um, one, a lot of uh, the the push for prohibition did come out of an anti-immigrant sentiment. They, mm -hmm. they saw it as a, things that immigrants did was drink. So uh, when they banned it, uh, there was a large Irish dock worker population in, in, uh, excuse me, in Portland at the time, or, you know, in Maine at the time. They were not happy. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, once that repeal started, a bunch of the other ones, the early, uh, early laws like that as well also fell apart. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, and legislation wasn't their only avenue for changing minds. Uh, Mary Hanchett Hunt made it her mission to spread scientific temperance. She, under the auspices of the WCTU, targeted Women's state... Christian Temperance Union, in case I forgot oh. to say that earlier. Okay. Uh, targeted state legislators to give her influence over the school board so they could spread her scientific temperance which were a collection of myths and stories about the dangers of alcohol she either found or had commissioned. <sighs> Students were told the majority of beer drinkers die of dropsy and persons should not take a stimulant before bathing, as so, well as alcohol passing down the throat burns off the skin, leaving it bare and burning. These, quote, facts appeared in roughly 50% of schools with seal of approval paving the way for a generation of prohibitionists. So yeah. it was the reefer madness of its day. Yeah, it was. And uh, she basically made up a bunch of stuff to to get her, her point across. Uh, basically, uh, oh my God, like corrupting education to do this just makes me so mad. That's... When you start targeting kids, you're just like, seriously, though. Not that we might be seeing that today, but... Well... <laughs> Let's um, not go there yet. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, when when she claimed she never took any profits from the, the WC, uh, WCTU or uh, or any other uh, or any other group from, like, the, the funds from books she approved, uh, 
all that money was channeled into a different account, which she had access to and could withdraw at will. Mm. That was found out after she died. Gotcha. Ah. So also a bit of an embezzler. Yeah, <laughs> turns out, yeah. All right. Uh, also hitting the national stage at this time was a woman by the name of, this is all one name, I guess. This Car- is, yeah. Carrie Amelia Moore Gloyd Nation. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, she described herself as, quote, bulldog running along the feet of Jesus, parking at what he doesn't like. End quote. So, you know, in that previous episode, I don't know, maybe three months ago when I said Molly Hatchet. Yeah, I meant no, Carrie you were, Nation. You meant Carrie Nation. I do the same thing. Molly Hatchet was <laughs> Killed a. Killed her family. Yeah, it was a. That's, uh, that's Lizzie Borden. Yeah. Uh, Molly Hatchet was a serial killer. <laughs> um, and a band in the from the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> Which is that. why the name probably rings more in your brain than, mm. than Carrie yeah. Nation. I had the same thing writing this because I kept thinking of you saying that. I was like, yeah, Casey was talking about about Molly Hatchet. That doesn't sound right. Molly <laughs> Hatchet. That's why. Okay. Yeah. Carrie Nation. Gotcha. We, Which isn't as... as well, we hear Hatchet and you automatically cut to the old like newsreel footage of the Hatchet <laughs> going into the barrels of beer and uh, everyone shedding a tear. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. All right. Uh, so when she wasn't sitting on an organ bench playing and talking to Christ... Those are her words, not mine. Indeed. Uh, Or publishing her own newspaper, The Smasher's Mail, so the public wouldn't think she was crazy. She was physically... Why isn't there a heavy metal band named The Smasher's Mail? I mean, really. They're missing out. There should be a whole Prohibition-themed metal band at this point with all the names. That's my Guar cover band. (laughs) All right, good job. Um, she was physically destroying saloons with anything she could get her hands on, particularly a hatchet. Mm-hmm. In 1901, the same year her second husband divorced her, diverse, uh, divorced divorced. her for desertion, she went to a Topeka saloon, the Senate Bar, and proceeded to destroy the establishment until the police came to escort her out. She said the sheriffs were very nice. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, a favorite of the vaudeville circuit, uh, she gave speeches to surprisingly receptive audiences. That isn't to, that isn't to say they didn't also try and make fun of her, too. A group of Yale students got her to pose with a tankard of beer while they giggled behind her. Good Lord. I, yeah, just like, oh, no, no, pose for this picture, ma'am. Just hold this. It's a, it's a, <clears throat> yeah, no, perfect, just like that. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, at the time, the temperance movement wasn't fighting what seemed to be a losing battle. In 1850, 36 million gallons of beer was consumed, and in 1890, it had risen to 855 million gallons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The population had tripled in that time, but this was a 24-fold increase. This was due in no small part to the mass of immigration that had opened that had happened during that time. Irish, German, Bohemian, Slavic, Scandinavian immigrants all rushed to America and brought with them their desire to drink. Saloons sprung up all over the U.S. for these immigrants, often by other immigrants who wanted to give their fellow immigrants a place to congregate. U.S. census figures showed that 80% of the saloons were owned by first-generation immigrants. There were so many saloons that, when asked why she didn't bring her hatchet with her to a trip to Cincinnati, Carrie Nation responded, quote, I would have dropped from exhaustion before I had gone a block, end quote. <laughs> Cincinnati was literally founded on beer. Yeah. Butts no, to guts. N- yeah, no beer. joke. 
It is no joke. And I think we still have a pre-prohibition saloon in operation in Cincinnati. Yeah. We all need to get down there. Uh, Arnold's. Oh, yeah. Mm. Like, it is from the 1830s or 40s when it was built. Mm. And it has been in continuous operation. It became a speakeasy during prohibition. They have been serving alcohol there ever since. <laughs> So this density was due in part to the way saloons were operated in the pre-prohibition days. In an effort to control the taps, brewers would pay for much of the saloon's cost. Furniture, food, loans they might need, even getting their license, which could cost as much as $1,500. And that's early that's 1900s. A, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. A lot, that's a lot of money for that time. All they would have to do is agree to only serve the brewery's brand of beer. These were called Tide Houses, and it was said about them, no man with $200 who was not sub subject to arrest on site need go without a saloon in Chicago. <laughs> By 1909, 70% of all saloons in America function this way. By now, it's illegal. <laughs> yeah. Now, that said, this was the time you could walk into a bar and say, I want a beer. And they just give it to you because they, they served one beer. Yeah. They just had beer. And that's like that's just a thing. It was a simpler, less interesting time. Yeah. Pepperidge Farm um, remembers. Pepperidge Farm does remember. <laughs> Business practices like this, and of course the ever popular immigrants were born were boon to the newest of the temperest and prohibition groups. The Anti-Saloon League emerged in 1893 in Oberlin, Ohio, and quickly gained prominence. It somewhere began to... It's, it's somewhere a little south of uh, Cleveland, so I'm blaming yeah. Cleveland. Yeah. No, Cleveland. yeah. It began to replace the other prohibition or, or organizations on the national stage, particularly because of the unstoppable political force it recruited named Wayne B. Willer. Willer knew that he needed to focus on the organization to one... Focus the organization to one issue and only one issue. The WCTU and the Prohibition Party tried to push any number of pro progressive issues, but the ASL would focus on Prohibition. Hmm. Democrat or Republican, it didn't matter to Wheeler. Only wet and dry. Wheeler realized early on that, he, that they couldn't affect change just by themselves, but they could play the margins and could tip the scales of the election. Imagine that a race for the House of Representatives is tightening up near the end and the leader is pro-drinking or wet, but only up by 4 or 5% in the polls. All of a sudden, Wayne Wheeler shows up in a district and someone else from the ASL and gets anyone who is for prohibition to vote for the other guy. Even if that's only 10% of the total population, the prohibition candidate wins. And if he doesn't, if he doesn't do what the ASL wants him by the time the election comes around, they'll back a different candidate that's dry and start all over. The power to make or break elections can make a lot of elected officials suddenly start to care about whether they're wet or dry. That was that's horrible. That's just yeah. Horrible. That is some shady stuff. <laughs> Single yeah. issue elections. Yeah, that's that's literally how they got everything through. And at a certain point, he practically controlled Congress. Yeah, I mean, to like, a disturbing degree. You know, it reminds me very much of the, we talked on kind of a, a pre-show situation, I guess, of the uh, Adam Ruins Everything. It reminds me very much of the marijuana stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, of how the, that went. The the parallels between uh, illegal marijuana use and illegal drinking are not stopping here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sure. It's, you're going to keep you know going through this going, this is a lot like weed is now. <laughs> yeah. Which means this will probably pass at some point, too. 
Like just mm. like we'll be like, okay, anyway, let's this <laughs> too shall pass. Important things. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, in order for uh, in order for these alliances to to be forged and to work over the country, the uh, ASL needed to find a common cause with other groups. So, and they proved adept at finding a reason the alcohol was the root of all evils. Uh, in the cities, immigrants were their big target. Uh, saloons were frequently a staple of large political machines, uh, like Tammany Hall and the like. Uh, they would, uh, and where they would push their influence, so they could get uh, what the uh, what the progressives didn't already have on board. Basically, they could. The saloon was seen as the place that that political machines would pick up their people and take them to election to vote, however they told them to go. Yeah. Um, they also could count on the help of the KKK, who uh, at the time did specialize in anti-Semitism. Uh, okay, they're specialized. <laughs> they had grown past their their common hatred for African Americans and focused on on other ethnic groups. Um, but yet yeah, the uh, and they could help them to attack these immigrants and Catholics uh, who did not appreciate a, a potential federal pro- uh, prohibition ban, uh, prohibition on alcohol. Uh, business tycoons like uh, J.D. Rockefeller uh, wanted their workforce sober and focused. Uh, already a teetotaler, Rockefeller did not want his employees showing up to work hungover or uh, even drunk, and the ASL promised to help him with that goal. Uh, the women's suffrage uh, seemed like natural allies for the ASL, uh, as many started out decades before in temperance groups, and uh, these allies helped them further their own agendas as well, giving them more backing for uh, backing to push changes that they wanted. Let's take a second here and realize that the uh, KKK and uh, 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 Susan B. Anthony were on the same side. Yeah, that's... Uh... <laughs> Mm. <laughs> it was a weird time in history, kids. <laughs> <laughs> like a lot of you know political necessities to get your thing pushed across, I guess. But you know, the ASL was a hotbed of strange, <laughs> strange partners. A lot uh, of strange bedfellows going on here. Yeah, they, the uh, the ASL could not seem to get the recently freed African Americans on their side, however. So they decided to demonize them instead. Um. This helped bring Southern white men into the fold. The uh, the image the ASL created was that of a black man with a liquor bottle in one hand and a ballot in the other. Oh God, that's just depressing to think of. Like that 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 worked. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing that makes me sad. Um, As it should. Yeah, it was an effective image at the time. Uh, the South had been slow to accept the national prohibition, uh, primarily because it had been linked to abolitionists prior to the Civil War. However, linking it to African Americans made uh, made for an image that was sure to stoke the fires of a post-Reconstruction South. Uh, we're going to start getting into to things where I feel I, where I have to apologize beforehand for what I'm about to say. Post-Reconstruction um, South. Let me say, quote, they were. They were yeah. taken advantage of a lot for political reasons. Yeah. People used their and, passions to push a lot of things. In 1907. Huh. Does, that, does that remind you of, of, any, of any, any group here in the past 10 years or so? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in 1907, the Atlantic Constitution wrote, and I remind you, this was published, quote, the South has a Negro problem. Swarms of Negroes, many of whom drunk on whiskey, roamed the country at large. End quote. Um, 
Even the founder of the, the Women's Christian Temperance Union, Francis Willard, had said, quote, the grog shop is the Negro center of power. Better whiskey and more of it is their is its rallying is the rallying cry of great dark faced mobs. End quote. Holy crap. Jesus. <laughs> I'm telling you, it, it makes it better if you see Butter Lady being the one who's who's uh giving these quotes. Uh, it's just... Butter Lady? Mrs. Buttersworth? Is that... No, 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 no. What's not Mrs. Buttersworth? Uh, <laughs> I was like, I guess. The, the cook who uses a lot of butter. Oh, uh, Paula Deen? Paula Deen. You just imagine Paula Deen giving the quote. <laughs> oh, God. That's awful. You see it You see it there, yeah. Oh, my God. Let's also, she has point, that, out that but... e- let's also point out that even well-meaning publications, such as the Methodist Church, uh, were caught saying, quote, under slavery, the Negroes were protected from alcohol. Uh, yeah. End quote. It was uh, such a different time, though. It, yeah, thing. it was a different time. Yeah. Like, the word was awful. Yeah. The phrasing uh, and the names being used at the time were the more acceptable ones to use. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was, this was an easy target to rile up the white population of the South and give the ASL and Southern racists common uh, common ground. Prohibition laws uh, would start being passed right along at the state level alongside Jim Crow laws. So this is, we're seeing both of these things kind of hitting the same chord with, this is what like what I was talking about, the post-Reconstruction South. Like, those two things could really play on the passions of the South. Also, keep in mind, these are Democrats. Southern Democrats were the, the uh, conservative party at the time. Yeah, we hadn't seen uh, that polarization switch. Republicans yeah. were the party of Lincoln. Right. Uh, and what many of the uh, the former slaves had registered as when they could get registered to vote. Right. Um, yeah, so that's that's going to wrap it up for, for this. Part one. For part one. Yes, for uh, part one. <laughs> I, w- I wish there was like a an audible, you know, <laughs> audible.com kind of guy. Oh. Like, that was part one of the... Part one. <laughs> Join have a us drink. again. Thanks, you, for... You listen. This has been a have a drink for now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I believe... What's, uh, we'll go ahead and give a tease for the next episode that is going to be called what? Uh, Prohibition 2, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> yeah, that was a requirement. Because all... A requirement. All sequels are Electric Boogaloo. Mm-hmm. All number a, two. All number twos. Yeah, so um, it's uh, we figured what? we'd do to save the what we're drinking till the very end of all of them. <laughs> okay, well, um, in that case, I guess it's just time to wrap up. So subscribe and get some great resources at haveadrinkshow.com. Follow us at haveadrinkshow on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and please rate the show on iTunes to help spread the word. Don't forget to tell us your favorite drink, ask a question, or just leave some general feedback. Uh, use the email address, email address, feedback at haveadrinkshow.com. You can also use the feedback page on the website. Yeah, guys, all joking and fun aside, uh, we're always going to remind you to please drink responsibly. Yes. Uh, so check us out in another couple of weeks for part two of our Prohibition episodes. Uh, part two, Electric Boogaloo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> once again, I'm Brittany Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. I'm Christopher Walker. And I'm Casey Price. See you next time. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.